welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Mike Diebler, and welcome to episode 49 of the OCR Underground Show, where our goal is to show you the smartest way to train for your next OCR to maximize performance without destroying your body in the process. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. The show notes for this episode are going to be located at www.ocrunderground.com episode 40. So for any links mentioned in the show, definitely check that out. Uh, as usual, have an awesome show for you. Uh, to get going, I always like to share some things that are kind of on the top of my mind or, or things that I've been working on with clients or with myself. And recently, we've had this topic come up in our online coaching program, our, our Fuel and Fire program that I do with SGX Coach and LaRue. And that was with uh, Big Bear coming up or a lot of these races, Spartan races coming up, is the idea of hill climbing and what should I be doing to train for that? Now, obviously the easier answer is to get out there and, and train on those hills because you need to be ready for something like that. But I know sometimes that that's not always possible because you maybe just don't have easy access to hills. Now, you might have to set it up in your schedule where you you get out there and, and drive a couple hours to train on some hills. If, there, if you live in a flat area, that might be you know something that you really need to think about to incorporate into your training just to get some experience on there. But maybe on a weekly basis, you, you just can't do that. So I want to give you some options on how do we prep for these hills so you're, you're ready for them because we know these obstacle course races, they love to throw those hills in and you have such an advantage if you are strong at them. So there's two parts to this, obviously, right? The, the climb up and then the, the descent down. So talking on the climb up, so other than training on hills, so we'll, we'll just assume you got that, but some other things you can do on a regular basis. I, I, I did post a short video that I'll put in the uh, show notes, but Think about when you're climbing uphill, what's going on with your with your legs, lower body. So it's one leg moving at a time, and you're constantly pushing up. And if we look kind of deep in the muscle, the physiology, those muscles are kind of constantly under strain. You don't really get a chance to rest. And it's not like running where you're kind of bouncing from one foot to the other. It's, it's this slow grind as you get up the hill. So some of the exercises you choose in your training should reflect that kind of slow grind. So some of my favorite techniques for doing this are uh, one and a half rep and uh, no pause training. And I have a video showing these two exercises, but essentially a one and a half rep is something where you do a full rep of an exercise and then you had, add half a rep on, just like the name implies. So essentially in, what I show in the video is like a split squat. So what you're gonna do is you are gonna go all the way down to the ground so that knee is gonna touch the, gro the, the ground or, or come very close to touching the ground. Then you're gonna only come halfway up, then you're gonna go all the way back down and then all the way back up. So your full one and a half rep there. Or you can do something where you, you go all the way down all the way up, but then go halfway back down and then all the way back up. And, and then you have your one and a half reps there. But the idea is we have that constant tension. So reps are becoming longer and longer versus just going down and up. Uh, or we can do very similar, no pause. So if we just take our split squat example again, you are going to lower down. And then when you come up, you're not going to come all the way up. You're not gonna lock out. So, and you know this, when, you, when you've been doing a lot of reps, you rest at the top, right? That's where you can take a break. We can get better blood flow into the muscle when it's relaxed. So instead of allowing for that rest, you're actually gonna go down 
almost come all the way up and then you go immediately go back down so it's almost like you're you're kind of pulsing up and down not it's not a short rep it's just slightly short so you're, you're still coming almost all the way up but the idea is we're constantly keeping that muscle tense and when you do that it actually doesn't allow the, the blood flow to get to that muscle very well. And you might have heard things like blood flow restriction training, and this is a similar technique without actually using any type of a cuff to, to create that effect, where we're just not allowing blood to get into the muscle, but blood is being sent there, so it's kind of pooling. And then you know when you when you finally stop and that, that burning that happens, the blood is finally getting in and then out of the muscle to, to do what it needs to do. Um, but this is essentially what happens when we do things like our hill climbs, right? The muscle is constantly under tension and we can improve that that ability there. So you have our, our lactate threshold where, where that lactate level is just building up and it's it, the muscles are becoming more um, acidic and harder time contraction, contracting, you actually can uh, train that where you can train at higher and higher levels and tolerate more and more of that going on. So these types of drills are are going to be crucial there. So uh, try those drills out. Again, check the show notes if it did make sense with my uh verbal description you can see what the exercise look like um, but it, it is tough it's a challenge you're going to want to quit but i'm telling you just push through it's going to make a world of difference in your hill climbs even if you can't get out there and train on those hills but now that we got at, to the top of the mountain what about coming down and, and this is where you know some of the elite runners are just amazing they will just crush it on the downhill now going up your goal is just to keep moving you don't need to get crazy and try and sprinting up the hill because then you're done you can't you can't do anything what if there's an obstacle at the top you just want to be able to find a good pace so you can keep moving and know when you get to the top you can start running again, whether it's flat or if you have to hit an obstacle or if you're going to come down, that's when you're going to make up your time because really how fast can you run uphill, right? Not a huge difference between a good power walk, but when you look at somebody sprinting downhill, somebody walking and then running a full out run downhill, you're going to make up a ton of time there. So number one, do that training so when you get to the top of the hill, your legs aren't totally toast and you can run again. And then two, work on your, your downhill running. So the two things that I would highly recommend, and there's lots of things you can do to improve downhill running, like getting out there and, and training downhill, but some, some great drills to start off on. Number one, just simple agility drills, like agility ladder drills. A lot of it is just footwork, being able to think on the fly because you don't know if there's a rock or the ground's moving or there's something you have to jump over, a hole, whatever. So you need, be, need to be able to react quickly. So working on that footwork and doing a variety of different uh, agility ladder drills, I think is a great place to, to start there and just working on that foot quickness. The other simple thing you can do is just a, a slight downhill running or over speed training where you're going to find not a mountain to run down, just a slight decline. So something like a 10 degree decline. I know you're probably not going to measure it, but that's just slightly going downhill. But we can do over speed training because if you're running downhill, your turnover is going to have to pick up because you're going to be able to run faster than you could on a flat ground. So um, you just find a slow, I prefer grass, it's just safer and less impact, uh, a slow hill going down and you just do downhill sprints and you're just trying to let gravity pull you down and work on quicker and quicker feet, All right? So it's, it's going to make you run faster, like I said, than you could on your own. So you're going to, again, have to think faster, uh, get a quicker turnover. So when you are running downhill, that footwork is going to be so much better. Uh, so hopefully those drills made sense, but I just think that those are some great things to start off with to get better at getting up the mountain and up the hills that you're going to see in these races. And I don't know if I want to say more importantly, but equally as important as uh, getting down that hill as fast as possible. And if you can do those two things, you are going to be flying by people that are just dying, getting up the hill and then wasting all their energy. And, and now they can't 
uh, use the downhill to their advantage. So definitely try some of those out. All right, well, coming up in this episode, um, we have a research review, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, strength versus muscle size. And um, sometimes people think these come hand in hand, and and they aren't always related. So I just want to show some uh, research on how different training methods can increase how big your muscles are, but they don't actually reflect how strong that muscle is. So we're going to look uh, into a deep dive into uh, what it is to create muscle hypertrophy, which is a bigger muscle, bigger size, and what it actually means to create a stronger muscle. So really, really cool stuff there. Both are good, but just depending on what you're what you're trying to go for, it's great to look big and and buff and ripped. But if those muscles don't have the the strength and the power behind it, um, a lot of it's just for show, and it's not going to help you out functionally and and like we're going to need for performance in some of these races. And and then in our interview, we have a a, a cool interview that we uh, did a a couple weeks ago now. So um, recently, I went out to the uh, the Vegas Spartan Super and Sprint Weekend, and uh, we ended up driving out there, and we went out with um, one of our athletes, Aaron Nolan, who is an elite Spartan racer, awesome guy. And uh, my, my studio is actually going to be sponsoring him this year. He's just killing it out there. And we, we wanted to show our support and, and help him any way we could. So we have this opportunity to uh, spend some time with him. And we're stuck in a car for a couple hours. So I just decided to pick his brain. He picked my brain a little bit. And we just talked all about what we thought of the, the race out there, some of the things with Spartan Racing and, and some of the other races, what we'd like to see. Uh, he gets into a ton about his feelings on training, things that have worked for him, haven't worked some really cool topics that we we got to uh, in the, the couple hours that we were uh, stuck in the car together. And don't worry, this episode is not going to be a couple hours long. We tried to keep this concise, but it was an awesome conversation. So uh, I know you guys are going to love this one. But all right, uh, let's get into this week's episode. All right, so if you listen to this podcast, I'm assuming you're doing some form of strength training. Now, there's lots of different reasons you would do strength training, but um, I'm assuming one of your primary reasons are is to improve performance, and that's why you're listening to this podcast in the first place. Now, kind of the, the, the two big reasons you would do strength training are you can uh, hypertrophy, which means you can get bigger muscles, or you want to get stronger. And Sometimes people confuse those two things because you think you get big muscles and they're they're stronger, but that actually is not the case. Just because a muscle gets bigger doesn't necessarily mean means that it's going to get stronger. Now, you have the potential to have a stronger muscle the bigger the muscle is, but these are actually two different styles of training. Now, you can look at like a bodybuilder, like or somebody posing in a fitness magazine, something like that. Now, don't get me wrong, don't don't jump through the microphone and and strangle me because you're a bodybuilder and you are strong. I'm not saying you're not strong. I'm just saying these are are different things. Now, um, having those bigger, puffier muscles, there is some strength there, but there's also some other physiological changes that are going on to create a bigger muscle. Now, um, after picturing that, that bodybuilder, now picture a power lifter, right? These guys are going to have a ton of just brute strength and they're going to look totally different. Not that they don't have big muscles, but we have just different stuff going on here. And um, whatever your your reasons for for strength training, what I want you to 
at least think about is you have a reason and you know specifically why why you're doing that in the first place. Are you trying to get bigger muscles? I'm not saying anything wrong with that. Maybe you're, you want bigger muscles to look better at the beach or in your shirt or clothes or whatever, right? Those are all fine goals and, and you will have a strength program that will reflect that goal. Now, if you're listening to this podcast though, I'm, I'm assuming that you want to see some improvements in performance and you don't necessarily need bigger muscles and more weight. That might actually hurt you for a race like a Spartan race or any other obstacle course race. Uh, instead, you want as much strength and keep it compact so you're not gaining a ton of weight. So the type of training you do is going to be different there. So I wanted to talk about a, a, a study I saw recently and just talks a, a little bit about uh, two different tra- training styles and how the results were different based on muscle size and muscle strength. Now, this study was done in uh, the uh, 2017 in the Frontiers of Physiology, and what they wanted to look at was the uh, adaptations from high load versus low load resistance training. And what that meant for this study was they had um, the individuals either train at a high load, which meant 80% of their one rep max, or a low load, which meant 30% of their one rep max. So they trained for six weeks. Um, and for this study, they just did one exercise. So it was just a one lower body exercise, but we're going to kind of make some assumptions based off of that. So they performed two failure and that's the important thing to remember here. So whether they were training with a high load or a low load, they trained until they couldn't possibly lift another rep out of it. So this was both high intensity and, and a tough workout. They just did it through different methods. Now, after the the six weeks were over, they looked at a few different things. And one of the things they did look at was hypertrophy or, or how big did those muscles get in the quads. And what they found was actually there was pretty equal hypertrophy there. So whether they used the low load or the high load, they saw pretty equal gains in muscle size. And I know that goes against what a lot of people um, have learned or taught or, or seen before that low loading or less resistance when you do your strength training actually doesn't lead to as good or as beneficial beneficial gains in muscle size. But this study, and there's actually other studies that are very similar showing that, yes, you can use low resistance and still see an increase in muscle size, but you have to remember you have to train to failure. So it's going to take a lot more reps at that low load versus the high load, which is going to take uh, significantly less reps. So, um, that workout is going to you know take a little bit longer to to get through your 30% of your one rep max. So um, that's pretty interesting though. So it, it showed that there wasn't really much of a difference for muscle size. So whether you want to lift heavy or lift light, if you're training to failure, you're probably going to see an increase in, in muscle size there. Uh, now the interesting thing, they also looked at uh, some nerve uh, neuromuscular responses to this training, uh, the different neural adaptations, and this is where true strength lies. So the better your your brain and your nervous system is at controlling a muscle contraction, is going to show you how. Tr- how strong you truly are. So they did things like maximal voluntary contraction and and other tests to see how much you can activate these muscles and how much strength that could come behind it. And what they actually found there was not much of an improvement in neural adaptations using the low load uh, training uh, program versus the high load where they used 80% actually saw significant increases in these different neural adaptations. So what this study is showing us is that 
the methods you use to get bigger, we have a, a little bit of a variety there, right? We do have to train to uh, enough stress to create the adaptation of muscle size. So you have to train to failure or close to failure if you're looking for that specific goal. If you're looking to gain strength on top of that, however, you need to make sure that you're using high resistance. So what I want you to take from this study is basically when you go in to a strength training session um, or really any, any workout you're going into, you always want to think, what's your specific goal? What are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to improve your aerobic ability with a run? So maybe you're going to go do a low intensity run and train in that aerobic zone, zone. or maybe you're primary goal in that workout is to get stronger. So your, your workout should reflect that. So according to this study and other ones out there, we want to make sure that we are lifting a higher resistance. So you're going to see things like 80% of your one rep max and up. So if you know your uh, 80% one rep max, perfect. You know exactly what you need to be lifting and you can just uh, increase the resistance as you get stronger and stronger. If you don't, it's just going to be a little bit of trial and error. So probably somewhere in that four to six rep range is going to be what you want to hit here. All right. So again, what are your goals? Are you just trying to look at it at the beach or do you want to actually see some strength behind those bigger muscles, right? Uh, make sure your, your training is going to re reflect the goals that you're, you're trying to accomplish there. Hey guys, just want to take a quick minute to let you know about our sponsors of our show and thank them for making this all possible. Uh, first up, we have Designer Protein, who's been making high quality, nutritious, and delicious protein products for the past 25 years. Uh, their products range from protein to other superfoods, uh, things like whey, plant-based, uh, and actually their brand new product, which is uh, egg protein. So if you want to learn more about their products and get 20% off, just check out the link in the show notes, or you can go to uh, designerprotein.com. Dot com. Use code SDPREMIER20 and you can get 20% off. And also I wanted to tell you about uh, our newest sponsor, Handmaster Plus. This is an amazing travel grip training tool. Um, there are nine muscles that close the hand and nine muscles that open and the Handmaster Plus trains them all in balance. So this is just a, an easy tool that you can use whether you're uh, at home, work, sitting there watching TV, uh, traveling. It's incredibly portable, so just an, an awesome way to help improve your grip strength for some of those challenging obstacles, but also not to mention just help with some preventative measures for different injuries of the hand, the, the wrist, and the elbow. So uh, check out their awesome product and the different levels that they have at handmasterplus.com. All right, back to the show. All right, what's up everybody? We have a very special interview for this episode. I'm actually in the car right now with our guest. We just finished up the Spartan race in Las Vegas this weekend and are headed back to San Diego. So we have about four hours to kill. So we figured let's put it to good use. I kind of wish we've recorded the whole drive out here because we've been talking about some good, good stuff, but we're gonna try and recreate everything we've talked about. But I have with me uh, an up and coming elite superstar in the Spartan series, Mr. Aaron Nolan. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. My uh, elbow is a little sore, but, uh, but I'm glad to be feeling better post-race. So yeah, I'm excited. Awesome. So like I said, we, we've actually been having a lot of conversation coming out here and on the way back. And like I said, I wish we recorded a lot of it. Um, but 
hopefully we can remember all the stuff we talked about. We'll, we'll do our best. It's ne never as good the second time around. The sequel's never as good. Yeah, it's almost impossible to recreate pre-race versus post-race, mm. you know, because you're like excited and you're fresh and then post-race you're like, can't remember what that felt like you're tired. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, I mean, there's always, post-race you always have more than enough things to talk about yeah yeah and you know i want to bring that up later because us coming in to this race a lot of what we were talking about was um at least we were mentioning the weather and how we were we were worried about rain we were worried about cold and we got none of that you know a little wind but it was actually a beautiful day but um so let's just start with what were your thoughts on on this weekend's race just overall what well, i completely agree with you about the weather conversation um uh, you and me both we were like uh, well, when i pulled up the forecast on uh thursday i sent you a text message i was like man it looks nasty it's gonna be rain on saturday and wind and i think that's sometimes what happens to me too when i look up the um, the map the race map on like west coast spartans a couple yeah. days in advance i'm like okay i know where the twister is in advance and we did this with the hoist and the twister combo we totally psyched ourselves out yeah and i think sometimes if you spend too much time thinking about a race in advance like what the weather's going to be like or what the course is going to be like before you actually get there race morning um kind of wasted energy mm -hmm. it's fun to think about i think for sure but yeah. but i think the thing that really got me was um when i showed up it was just it was really great conditions yeah it was just we, we showed up together we carpooled and um i just remember thinking like this is this is ideal yeah you know it was like 50 mid 50s which may sound cold on the podcast but actually didn't feel that cold well and we're we're, just, we're coming from southern california and People on the East Coast listening to this are saying, right. what, are you, what are you guys talking about? We have Greek Peak coming up. Great We're going to be there's, in the snow. <laughs> there's, there's probably people in like Antarctica listening to this. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> um, yeah, your podcast is very... It, it is yeah, worldwide. Yeah, exactly. Yes. yes. Um, yeah, and then uh, looking at the course, um, there was a couple really steep inclines at the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was kind of cool to think about that. But realistically, going to this course was a little unique for me because... I hadn't run in two weeks, so I, I ran Arizona about three weeks ago, and uh, the, the super and the spring combo, and I felt okay racing, like my foot was a little sore, my left foot was a little sore afterwards, but um, about five days later I finished up a training run and my left foot was really achy, right in the middle, right where kind of the center where all the bones, uh, I don't call them phalanges I guess, mm -hmm. all of them intersect right, right above my, my plantar fascia. and. Um, I'm like, man, maybe I have a stress fracture. So I took the last two weeks off. And I haven't done that. I haven't run probably the longest gap I've not ran was like three days, maybe, maybe like six months ago when I had the flu. Um, so I go into the race, I'm like, well, I'm gonna at least let me rest it, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. I felt terrible. That first mile, I didn't know what to expect, and it was just it was hard, I had to gut it out. Um, but beyond that, the race was wonderful. I mean, it was well thought out it was fun there was a muddy barbed wire quality oh yeah how, i mean how did you feel about it? we talked about this a little bit yesterday but how did you feel after the, the the muddy barbed wire yeah the barbed wire so um so we did the race last year in, in vegas and if you did it last year and this year you know that it was not the same course obviously but it was almost backwards from how we ran it last year and where last year was almost like you were swimming through the barbed wire crawl this was more just thick thick mud that you were going through and you know, it has its pros and cons where your elbows are sinking in the mud, which is way nicer than 
a rock or thorns or something like that. So, and you can kind of slide under. Um, but I have to say, like the last race that I did in Chino, the barbed bar was pretty high. Like I could almost yeah, crawl on all fours yeah. and, and just cruise through it. This one, if you lift your butt up at all, it's it's getting cut. You know, it, it, this was you got to get your face down in the mud and, and just go for it. So, and then you get up and you have this thick layer of mud and you have to start running again. You feel like your shoes are, you know, gonna just fall off because you're sinking in the mud. So it was uh, that was a tough little little crawl. And I know for me, I, I lost a little bit of time, unfortunately, on on that crawl. But um, I, well, and I, I think I lost time in the, in the next like minute because. I got up about five pounds heavier. Like no yeah, joke, yeah. I was probably five pounds heavier. Yeah, coming out of that thing. And um, I think you saw. It looked like a lot of racers in front of me had the same strategy: was grabbing every single plant that you saw on the trail because your hands were just covered. Like, you know, we were talking about after the race, trying to look at your watch to see, you know, what your time was like. You you couldn't see your watch anymore. Right. All you had was a block of mud on your on your wrist, but you know you you're not sure what's coming up next so you're trying to get your hands dry and and as mud free as possible so every tree that was available was completely covered in mud as i ran by it for sure but um i want to go back to your injury actually and talk about this a little bit because uh, one i want you to kind of explain your strategy coming in so to give people perspective you you did really well in arizona I did. I uh, it was it was definitely not as deep as a as a field as it was in Chino or in Vegas, which I expected. Um, but I did do well. I I, uh, I I haven't filled an obstacle. This will be my eighth straight race without filling an obstacle. I've only done nine races, and the only one I failed was the first time I did Twister. And I think I would have failed it regardless, just because it's it's such a hard obstacle, especially if it's like anywhere if there's something before it. Um, I remember my hands were wet in Elsinore, and so I, I got up to the twister, and it was like I fell off after one grip. Uh, but since then, I've had clean races, and so I may not be the fastest runner. I'm not like a slow runner by any means. But when you run a clean race, not only are you um, you know fresh from not doing burpees, but you're just cutting off all the time you spend doing burpees. Yeah, so it's yeah. like you're not demoralized, you're not as tired, so you can run. So in Arizona, there was definitely faster runners than me, but. Um, the sprint course I passed like or the super course on Saturday I passed like maybe three or four guys at the end um the cool thing about the sprint I don't think I talked to you about this but I didn't pass anybody at the end it was I earned and the guys in front of me none they didn't fail so I felt like I really earned that third place finish there that was yeah, nice yeah. Uh, like I didn't get kind of gifted it because mm -hmm. of failure which I would have taken gladly you know I'll yeah. take I'll take your 30 burpee penalty failure I'll take that any day yeah. but um, <laughs> it feels different when you get that versus when you don't and I can say that just from my own experience. So yeah, had a good race, and I was really feeling good about how my training was going. And uh, the real big thing is, is I've been running for a while, so I've definitely had my fair share of injuries, but two and a half years ago, I had a Achilles tendonitis um, that was really painful that I, I tried to run through, and it only made it worse. And that was a great learning experience for me because when I made it worse by running through it, I, um, I had to take almost like a year off until my Achilles was finally okay to start running again without like serious pain. Some people said, you know, it may never go away, mm -hmm. um, which was kind of a scary thought. So right when I started noticing this, the, the pain in my feet that week after Arizona, I, uh, I immediately was like, well, let's, let's learn from that Achilles experience. Let's take two full weeks off, see what happened. Let's do some cross training. So I was on the spin bike. Mm -hmm. I even swam a little bit, was in the sauna 
did a lot of upper body stuff in the meantime and even did some um, CrossFit type stuff that wasn't pounding on my foot and I, I feel like that kind of got me through but it could not replace the running mm-hmm. so like that was the big difference like yeah I've stopped my fitness but, but I, after the first mile today I told you this like my quad no joke felt like they're gonna cramp up after mm-hmm. one mile and, and typically my quads never feel like they're gonna cramp up or if they do it's like after a really grueling race like Big Bear yeah 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 so um so that's interesting. You had the you had the Achilles. So you had a pretty serious injury, and I've I've dealt with Achilles stuff before, and I know what that feels like. And it's it's not fun when, you know, not just running, but every step you take sometimes is just incredibly painful. So, but I think people could learn a lesson from this, where you you learn from the past. You had an injury, and you're you're competing to win. You, you know, in the elite, you're you're trying to win these races, but at the same time, you have a big picture. Now, if if this was Tahoe this weekend maybe you would have ran ran through and and you would it, it puts it in you know a different different mindset different perspective yeah it, just to be very honest like let's say three weeks ago was like a, a, a tune-up race for tahoe and i'm like man my foot is really sore i would have just said well if i get a stress fracture screw it but i'm not going to screw up a year's worth of training yeah and if i get a stress fracture post tahoe or during tahoe which you can run through a stress fracture it's just incredibly painful but I would have just shut, I would have shut it down afterwards, let it heal. And so yeah, totally different yeah. early season versus, yeah, totally. Yeah, and then I think the the um, strategy you took was pretty smart, right? So you knew running was going to bother you if you just kept running the last couple of weeks to run to, to train for this race. But at the same time, you know, I got I have to do something. So you do your cross training. You're still you can lift, you can you can you can get on the bike, you can do other things that will help. Um, I don't know if you got in the pool at all, but you're doing something that you can still work on fitness. Yes, it's not going to replace running, but, you know, there's pro- pros and cons. It's like, okay, I'm, I might lose a little bit on the running. I'm still training endurance. I'm still working on that grid and pushing myself and, and all those things without setting myself for, up for a future injury. And now, you know, okay, I was able to run to this race. Now it is a stress fracture or whatever. I'm in a boot for a while. I'm not going to be able to race again for, for two months. And you know, you're forced to rest that way. So I, I think when people look at when they have these little nagging injuries and they try and train through it, you know, we're all at different levels, right? You're, you're talking about elite winning. Some people might be trying to win age group. Some people are just trying to finish the race. And if, if you're just trying to finish the race and you have that little nagging injury, you're significantly reducing your chance that you're going to be able to finish that race because now you're halfway on the course and your knee just goes out completely or your foot or your ankle or, or you just dislocated your shoulder because you didn't you didn't take that time off and you tried to train through it and you know toughness is one thing but there's that line where now we're just being stupid with our training yeah and, and I, I I would double down on that um, an obstacle course race you go into it 80% because it's a mild it's a moderate injury you know you could mess yourself up in some unintended way you know say like you go over the 7 foot wall like oh my groin's bothering me so I'm gonna take this one kind of but you come over the wall and you land awkwardly and you break your ankle or you sprain your ankle and then you're like a really bad high ankle sprain or yeah. or you know you're on the you're on the rig and you got a you got a um, maybe a, a, a really sore shoulder and you make a wrong move and you can really tear your rotator cuff and it's like you, you have one of those injuries you're not out for a few weeks that you can mm-hmm. rehab it you're out for months maybe even longer so it's like or in this case coming down a couple of those steep declines yeah yeah i mean it was like 
dude, you're not on your A game on that, you could really mess yourself up. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's it's really it favors um, a person taking the long view to try to enjoy their training, but also to like uh, avoid not uh, a, a potential pitfall with it with a significant injury. I mean, yeah. it really, it favors yourself to make prudent choices. And I came into the, this weekend's race knowing for sure I was running Saturday. I was like, no matter what happens. I'm gonna find out how bad my foot is, but I was I was fully prepared to be like, no, I'm not gonna run Sunday because my foot's all jacked up. But yeah. my foot felt fine. It was my quads that really were sore that last night. Yeah, my, my foot's okay. Yeah, and I, and we were trying to tempt you last night to come out with us in Vegas too, and uh, maybe skip that one. But you held strong, and I did. I was. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a model of uh, of uh, commitment. That's I know. That's me. We, we just couldn't we couldn't peer pressure you, but. Um, I did. I did go to the buffet though at the Caesars, and I, I'm pretty sure I uh, they were about to kick me out. Um, I know. Yeah, you texted us. You were there a good hour and a half. Oh yeah. And, yeah. And that includes, you know, like uh, I think I had four pints of Blue Moon. So I was like <laughs> drinking the, the the beer and enjoying the uh, the prime rib and everything. So that was. Um, I definitely was uh, rewarding myself for a hard effort. Exactly. Well, you got to refuel, right? <laughs> Get those glycogen stores. And, yeah. I don't think we store alcohol, but if, I, if we, we did, not, you, no, no, yeah, no, that, yeah. Was, that was an indulgence for sure. Awesome. Um, I want to go back to um, kind of what we were talking about, like that mental preparation. And, you know, when you go in like the West Coast Spartan group or, or any of the, the groups online and you see the map come out or people stressing about, hey, when's the map coming out? And I'm guilty of it, too. I, I want to see what it looks like. Um, but a lot of times it can it can psych you out when you're it's good to have a strategy and, and have a plan. Um, to just see, hey, what what obstacles do I at least need to worry about? Like, there was no monkey bars this weekend, and if that's something you struggle with, you can at least say, all right, you know, I don't one less thing for me to worry about, or or maybe you're bumped. There, there's no monkey bars, whatever. Um, and we we talked about this coming out here, where I think one thing you really excel at is you have that mental capacity where you can you can get into the pain cave like and be comfortable there and I know I'll admittedly um when I start getting uncomfortable that's when I want to want to back off a little bit and one thing I notice that I do if I can just put my head down and run I feel great when I start either one thinking about what's coming next or two I see it in the dis whether it's the next obstacle or maybe I, I see the spirit coming up and then you get those little butterflies like oh what if I miss you know and and then all of a sudden I see my people start passing me I slow down it all of a sudden my pace is gone because I psyched myself out. So kind of a two-part question. One, I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Just kind of having a plan versus psyching yourself out when you when you look at the map or, or you see an obstacle coming up, like what do you do? Do you just not even think about it and you go? Um, and then just two, what are some tips maybe to help people when, maybe in their training, because that's always when it's toughest. When you're a little uncomfortable, what do you do? Because I know you do this really well to just say, "Hey, I'm going to be in pain, and I'm going to deal with it right. and go." You know, I kind of have a three-part answer that I want to qualify first by saying that even though I'd love to win, I'm not in a place yet where I know that I can win one of these elite races because invariably there are a few people that show up that are just really—I want to say they're out of my league, but they're just better obstacle course racers. They're better mountain runners. They're better whatever, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to compete at my highest level. And so I think the first part of the answer is, is when you go into a race or when I go into a race and I, I actually, I feel like I 
relate more with like competitive age groupers than I do with the elites um, because I've, I've grinded for so many years and I feel like an obstacle course race is kind of a grind. So I think you, the first thing is you go into a race with the mindset it's going to suck, it's going to be fun, but it's going to be a grind and you kind of commit to that. Like no matter what happens, I'm going to give it a really good effort. You don't have to give your best effort because you know sometimes that's it's just not your day. But that's the first part is just having that kind of mental commitment to like not. It's not okay to walk when you don't need to walk. Now don't get me wrong. If you if you sprain your ankle or if you're dehydrated, you're suffering the symptoms of heat exhaustion. But if you're just walking because you're bummed out that it's hard, I mean that's and that's what you want to do. That's all you. But if you're out there, you told yourself uh, that you wanted to race. And you're, and you're relatively fit, then you know that's where it's, it's about mental commitment. Um, the second part is is running with other people and knowing the obstacles that are ahead of you and behind you is a mixed bag because it can be very helpful to go in with the plan. Helpful, like if you know, that, man, it's flat at the beginning of the course, but there's lots of hills at the end of the course. You're not, you shouldn't be running with that flat of a section fast. Mm-hmm. Or if like, let's say twister is your hardest obstacle and the hoist is before the twister you don't want to jack that hoist as hard as you can you want to just try to get it to the completion and then shake your arms out there so knowing what's next can be very valuable mm-hmm. um, just like having runners run with you you can pace yourself off of them they can help get you motivated but one thing that running with other runners can do is it, it can actually slow you down I, I find it more beneficial to run alone because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm racing my own race yeah whereas it because i've like been running and i'm running next to a person i'm thinking man I'm going really slow right now. I don't really need to go this slow. And the reason why I'm doing it is because I'm tired. Yeah, yeah. I, I use this other person as kind of an excuse. That's just to, sorry, interrupt you one, yeah. one quick second, because I know that's one thing I have to deal with. If the person in front of me starts walking, I'm probably 90% more likely to start walking, especially if it, like it's a hill. Right. And maybe it's not a crazy hill, but it's like, I could run up this. I, I know I can. This guy's walking right in front of me, and I'm now I'm relying on his training. Like... I'm, I'm waiting for him to walk and then I walk and then maybe that's part of his training where he walks up and then he's gone and, and then I there's no way I can catch up to him or maybe he's walking as he gets to the top and now I just lost five minutes that I had no business losing but um, and, and I think it depends on what you're looking for in the race but I think most people that show up to a Spartan race um, are, are modeling what Joe DeSena really wants is they getting you off the couch and having a challenge mm-hmm. and so I just encourage people to challenge themselves you know whether you're you're uh, a very competitive athlete like myself or you're a person who just wants to go out there and have fun like I believe that inside of all of us it, it, you know we enjoy adrenaline um, we enjoy the dopamine of a, of a, of a race well run post race and and so I'm one of those people that's like you know yeah go ahead get all geeked out in advance mm-hmm. three days in the out you know I'm all excited I'm already you know, I'm thinking about the drive or I'm thinking about how hard the race is going to be and I'm excited three days before even the gun goes off um, and I think that's great the problem is 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 when it starts creeping into anxiety and you really you start worrying about what people are going to think about your results or are you going to fail an obstacle that's wasting energy and that's a tricky one so rather than prepare three days out prepare a month out go to the gym like people that struggle with the spear throw I met a woman who uh, and she's really nice and she's a great racer um, and she uh, so she's the wife of this dude and it's a funny story so I meet this guy it's funny how you meet people at these races so I'm at the terrain race out at Elsinore last year and I'm I'm not having a good race but I'm like I'm just gonna finish 
and I ended up finishing like six or seven. So I was like, I felt pretty good about that. But mm -hmm. in the moment, you're not thinking about that. You just, yeah. you just do whatever. So I come to the final straightaway, and I look behind me. This guy's way behind me. So I'm like, ah, I just thought jogging in. And sure enough, we get to the next obstacle, and he's like 20 feet behind me. He closed like, you know, two minutes in like, uh, you know, half a mile, which is pretty fast. Yeah. So I, I ended up chatting him up. I raced a couple weeks ago at Chino, or a month ago at Chino. I meet his wife, and his wife's like, I've only made this spear once in like 30 tries. Mm -hmm. Or something like that. It's something like really low percentage. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Like, there's got to be something wrong there, you know? Like, what yeah. do you do? She's like, well, you know, I, I practice, but I just can't get it. And it's like, I think that those things are very fixable if you, just like running. Um, they're fixable if you spend time. So if preparing for a race, it's great to prepare like the morning of, a few days after, a few days before. But I, I think like just investing maybe an hour more a week or every couple weeks to some of that stuff, um, like doing bicep curls because you struggle on the twister or, um, or practicing form with the coach on the spear. Honestly, if I paid, if I paid you, Mike, and I was like, Mike, I suck at the spear. And I used to suck at the spear. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and you're like, hey, okay, let's just come out. And I paid you 30 bucks a month or maybe 100 bucks a month. That would be worth it if, if I could eliminate that, those yep. burpees from a race. So that's that's really kind of like that whole three-part idea. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the spear is such a big one. And a lot of times that is mental. And, you know, again, we are talking about this coming out where it's like when you look at an NBA player, you know, they miss free throws you're gonna miss a foul shot like people don't shoot 100 percent, and it's a it's a shot that you know every time you do it it's the exact same thing you know sure like it's not always the same situation is it in the the first quarter when you know if i miss this it's not the end of the game we have all this time to make it up or is there one second left and we're down by one and i have two shots right now to to win the game right it, it's the same exact thing you have to do but your mindset is totally different now and and that's this, that's the spear throw. You know, one thing that I think it would drastically improve free throw shooting is uh, if they imposed the 50, uh, 30 burpee penalty, maybe a 50 burpee penalty, uh, <laughs> after he missed one. And uh, I think that's the difference between um, a spear is that, you know, the penalty is pretty severe. Mm -hmm. and, and I would like to think that you don't get used to doing burpees in a race and you have something to strive for. Like, uh, you know, say the last race I did two sets maybe this this race I only want to do one set and um and that's a that's a good incentive for for dialing that down you know getting I guess better at the things you're weak at and uh and when I think about the obstacles for me personally like I'm not awesome at all the obstacles I mean I go slowly through the z-wall you know the twist drive pretty methodical about how I get through that but I don't fail any obstacles and the, the real obstacle for me is the terrain um, you know soft sand was this weekend uh, and there was two really intense hill climbs uh, one day limited for the sprint but on the super it was just like I mean you're literally on all fours climbing up this deep sand soft sand hill you were there yeah yeah um, and that was that was to me that was probably like the second hardest obstacle yeah. of the day and it wasn't an obstacle. That doesn't count. That's not one of the 29 options yeah, yeah, yeah. that us. So that's where, like, I do. I put my training in. I, 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 I You taught me how to build a spear. Mm -hmm. Followed your instructions. Went to uh, Lowe's and oh, no, Home Depot. Uh, uh, in fact, if Home Depot wants to sponsor me for putting this plug in, I'm fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, went to Home Depot. I got the, uh, the 
yeah, rake handle, got the, the long nail, pounded it in, practice on it. Um, but the big practice that I do, and this is my main like advice that I give people, and one of the beautiful things about getting better at racing is like I meet with a lot of racers and I, I'm all I'm fine for giving advice when, when they're open to it. And the best advice I can give anybody is get comfortable with running. I think the more comfortable you get with running, the better you'll get at obstacles, especially with obstacles like the spear, because let's say for example like today and yesterday the spear throw came right after olympus mm -hmm. and it's at like mile four mm -hmm. let's say four or five i can't remember exactly um you're tired yeah you just and you just did olympus which is really hard on your lower body as well as your upper body and it's literally you know what 30 yards away it's yeah. a spear yeah so if you're even remotely tired you're not focusing you know your mental off is off just that i was talking with your wife about this yesterday like where you know you know, you, you're not mentally all there. Sometimes you, that's when you make a mistake. Mm -hmm. And if you're tired, you're not mentally all there. So my point is, is if you're more fit running, you're not gonna be as tired during a race. Mm -hmm. And you're gonna get to the spear, and you're gonna be like, oh, you know, I got this. And you're gonna be less inclined to make a, a technique mistake. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what happens to free throw shooters. I think a lot of the poor free throw shooters are bigger, heavier centers, and maybe they're just not as in a good a shape. And I'm, I'm, I know I make it, Oh, you know, overgeneralization, but I think when you're fit and you're less tired, your technique is less likely to break down. And yeah. spear is all technique. Oh yeah. I don't care who you are, if you're like the most powerful person or someone who doesn't have as much power, it's still technique. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you bring up a lot of good points there, but I, you know, we're talking about the spear now, when a lot of the elite guys miss, they know how to hit the spear, and a lot of times it is that little mental lapse, and that's gonna typically happen when you're, you're just tired, you're run down, your brain's not getting as much glucose to power it and all that, that good stuff. You're, you're fatigued and then you do something dumb, you know, you always throw the rope over except that one time and that's when you lost the lead or, you know, you didn't, now that was your, your 30 burpees for the race or whatever it might've been. And the funny thing, it's like, it's almost like when you're really intoxicated, I'm sure we've all had those moments. When you're really intoxicated, you don't realize you're that intoxicated. You're like, I'm doing fine. I, I, I wasn't. You know, doing, saying something ridiculous or disrespectful. I sing really well. Or I drive really well when I'm intoxicated. Yeah. <laughs> like just ridiculous things that sometimes people actually try and rationalize. When you're dehydrated and you're not, you know, you think like, oh, I'm not that, it's not that bad, I'm just a little thirsty. Yeah. But if you're a little dehydrated and a little tired, you might think you're at 99%, but you might actually be close to like 85%. And you don't quite realize it, but your body knows it. I'll tell you, your body knows it really well. So you're more likely to, so the guy, uh, one of the really good racers that I've been I've been buddying up with, John Clark, super good guy, and we talked about his spear. And he he's like, man, when I miss the spear, I always miss it low. And he's like, it's just it's got to be fatigue, you know. It's like, why am I missing it low? Why am I missing it low? Why is it always in the back, bottom region? So he's like, I'm just gonna start aiming a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, brilliant, you know, brilliant idea, because you know you're tired, you know you're gonna go a little low, so just try to put a little bit more oomph into it. Just a really good strategy, you know, simple thing by knowing that you're tired going into something, not only preparing to not be tired, but then like mentally compensating a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And I wanna get a little bit more into um, your, some of your training strategy styles, whatever you wanna talk in a second, but uh, just a little bit more on this, this particular race. Uh, there were a couple kind of new obstacles and I just wanted to get your thought, thoughts on it a little bit. Um, one being the uh, the Farmer's Carry 2.0, and I don't know if this is going to be a new thing or if this was 
was a one-time thing that we saw here. But just for you listening that didn't get to run, just to describe it, picture the Atlas Stone, but instead of you picking it up, carrying it and doing burpees, they tied a chain to it with a handle, and you had to carry it by that handle however you wanted to, one hand, two hands, no burpees, you just had to pick it up, carry it pretty much, I'm, I'm thinking the same exact distance a normal Atlas Stone would be, and then turn around, come back, put it down, and go. Uh, what were your thoughts on that obstacle? Well, before I get to my thoughts, I'd like to know what your thoughts are. You've been doing this a lot longer than me, and you've seen a lot of different obstacles. But what are your thoughts on it? I, mean, I, I love farmer's carries, and I love seeing those at a race, and you don't always see them, you know, depending on where you are. And we've got to run races all over the country, so sometimes they're chains attached to big logs, and you, you pick up two logs, and you have to walk with them a, a short distance. And I just think it's a... Hey, I love doing it in my workouts, and I, I think it's a great demonstration of strength and, and control and stability and all that good stuff. So I always love seeing the farmers carry in there. I guess in terms of difficulty, it it seemed light, and I don't know if it's I don't know if it's the same exact weight as an Atlas stone, and maybe it's just the way you carry it because you don't have to lift it up to your stomach or your chest. Uh, it felt light because I, you know, looking at it, I saw the guy in front of me carrying it with two hands, kind of between his legs and waddling down to the other side looked a little awkward and I'm like ah let me just try with one hand and see what that looks like like a like a one-arm farmer's carry and that's the I picked it up and I was like oh it's it's not that bad and then I, I just walked with it I, I don't even think I switched hands I think I just walked with it with my, my right hand turned around and came back so I always like farmer's carry but I like I like the Atlas Stone too I like the demonstration of strength can you can you pick something up off the ground walk with it I'm not going to say I, I didn't mind skipping the burpees. You know, I, now I can say it, it was technically a burpee-free race because I did no burpees. I didn't have to include those five right. with the Atlas carry. So, you know, I, I don't I don't know. Maybe I'll see it a couple more times and get a better opinion, but that's that's kind of what I was thinking when I saw it. And, and I'm kind of right with you almost identically in your mindset. I like farmer's carries too. I think the thing I like about farmer's carries or the Atlas carry is they're universal like anybody can do it I love knowing that because not everybody can do the twister it's just it's a hard obstacle um, maybe they can do like a couple runs but they're doing it all the way through but everybody can do if they train they can do an atlas or a farmer's carry this farmer's carry was a little awkward because it's a big ball attached to a chain and, and, that, and so it's, it's wide and it had a diameter of maybe like I want to say like a foot, maybe yeah. maybe even more than a maybe more than twelve inches, and so it was incredibly awkward <laughs> to carry it. True, and it actually um, tore off a little bit of my skin yeah, yeah. away at the end of the race. Not a big deal, but um, I like the Atlas carry. I, I would keep it in there. Um, if you're going to do a farmer's carry, do both. Yeah, um, that's how I would do it, and uh, and I like that. You know, you have to try different carries because what you think will distribute the most weight using two arms might actually be. You know, actually be the slowest way of doing it, and then you got to crouch down. You might hurt your back a little bit, so it's it's always fun trying different things out. Because I saw the same thing. I saw a guy, a person carrying it with two arms, and I was like, I'm not doing that. Like, yeah. I'm going to pick it up and see how heavy it is first. Was <laughs> um, whatever's the easiest is what I'm going to do. Um, but I, I, I thought that was I thought it was cool. It was something fun, something different. I like things that are different. Yeah, yeah. As long as they're not like silly different. Exactly. And so um, our next obstacle that just slightly different uh, was the uh, vertical cargo net. There's actually one more you're missing. Okay, you have to remind me that. I will. So uh, the vertical cargo net, which was you know the normal vertical cargo net, but they threw that little platform in front of it. So they have a men's height, women's height. 
I don't know what the heights were. I'm, I'm gonna guess at least maybe five feet for five the feet for the men, at four least. for the women, something along those lines. I, the, and a lot of the elite racers, it's probably no big deal. They're gonna jump jump up there and, and just do the vertical cargo net. But I think where people are gonna get hung up on this one, it's kind of similar to the hurdles. There's nothing to to kick up. You have to get up on this platform. There's no wall right. to climb. It is just the platform sticking out. And a lot of people, they're gonna get their chest up on there with their legs hanging and, and just be stuck there. So uh, I'm sure you didn't struggle with that one, but what were your thoughts on well, that one? Well, it's funny. So like, initially when I think about it, I think like, well, it's gonna favor the, the taller athletes. True. Well, and, but in hindsight, now that that's the, you always make assumptions. So I'm racing it. Uh, and it was right after Twister, so I was tired. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like Twister, and then you've got... Uh, and Twister's the other obstacle that's a newer obstacle. I'm going to frame why it was a newer obstacle. Gotcha, yeah, There's yeah, been yeah. so much BS in the media. I'm talking about Facebook. Wah, wah, wah. I'm talking about the, 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 um, the, the cover, you know, the grips over the Twister. And it's an obstacle. Just deal with it. Get through. <laughs> we all, we're all dealing with it the same. And yeah, they, maybe we were better before, but I heard some horror stories about... Uh, just the pure metal twister, so I can see the rationale behind it. You know, you, you think about that there's thousands of racers, not everybody's gonna like it, but I get it, I get it. And so it took Spartan a year, which is a little, <laughs> little overdue, but they finally listened, they made a change. And so for all of you that are listening, you can expect a change on the twister, and you'll be very happy to hear that both people are gonna be happy about it, both sides are gonna be happy about it. As far as the, uh, the vertical cargo, so it's right after the twister, we're tired, um, either the sprint or the super i was tired either way and i'm thinking yeah you know i've got this and this tall guy ahead of me who must have been like your height mike maybe like six two six three he runs right into it tries to get over it falls down just bop, bopped himself right on the ground he i mean he's he was running in like seventh place he was obviously a good athlete and i was kind of kind of got a little bit of a chuckle because he obviously underestimated it but yeah it's one of those ones where you got to jump up almost like a five foot wall and then like propel yourself onto the side. It's challenging, it's not, it's, it's definitely much harder than just a straight up. Mm -hmm. Definitely harder than like, uh, like the A-frame, but the A-frame has its own kind of, cause your, your quads at that point are kind of fried yeah, and yeah, climb yeah. up, but, uh, but that was, that was, I liked the ledge. It made it more challenging. I, I liked it, it was a little, a simple thing. And actually we did see that, uh, that's the second time I saw them add that little ledge. They did that in uh, Big Bear. Did that was a big bear? Big bear. Okay, I can't remember. It was Big Bear of Vermont. So maybe that's going to be the new trend too for the uh, the vertical cargo net, which I I liked it. I think it's it seems like no big deal, but some people are going to get caught up on it. So that's that's going to be a big thing to work on. Being able, obviously, working on jumping, you know, to to get a little power, but then that upper body being able to push yourself, kind of like you're climbing out of an empty pool, but all of a sudden the wall just disappeared and you have nothing to kick those feet on. So, so cool. So let's let's get on the twister then. So let's. So the twister. So there's. I think there's got to be like between ten to twelve lanes. Uh, you know, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. And what they did was they put the last three. I think had grips, and the other say seven didn't have grips. And they had volunteers shouting. At least when I went through. All right, these lanes have grips. These lanes don't. And so you can kind of have your preference. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was just super smart um it really dealt with the feedback of the of the crowd and it also it changed the obstacle because yesterday i've been used to doing grips so i've done uh seven spartan races and prior to this weekend and all seven had been done with the grips mm -hmm. or no no um six and seven had been done. yeah elsinore didn't have the grips and uh 
And so I was like, well, I, I'm going to go with what I know. I'm going to go with the grips. And today when I did the sprint, I was like, well, you know, I hear people saying that it's easier without the grips, so I'm going to go back to that. And I tried it, and it definitely was, it definitely was easier. It, it was less energy, uh, to, and just gripping it was easier to do. And it was more universal, too, because it was metal all the way through. Because when you get to the intersection, you got to go from grip to metal, you know? Mm -hmm. So I kind of like that. But the biggest thing is I have a lot of empathy for my fellow competitors. So I was really just glad seeing it because I felt better for all the people that wanted one or the other. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when we were, I, I don't remember if it was when we were driving out here, maybe during the week, you had mentioned, you, you go, they posted a picture. There's there's uh, no handles on the twister. And I'm like, oh, wow. And then when I got there, I before I got to the twister, I knew it was coming. I just had my head down and was was pushing to get to it. And I, I you know, I like the hanging obstacles. I, I haven't failed twister yet, so I'm not super worried about it. I just wanted to get there and hopefully pass a couple people doing burpees. Um, but I just saw a lane open and it had handles. And my first thought was, Aaron, that bastard, he lied to me. <laughs> but but I, what I do, and I didn't even realize it was half and half or however they split it up. I just noted, hey, there's a lot of people on the left side. The right side's wide open. I'm going to the right. I'm used to the handles anyway. So so I, I did it and went through. And then we talked afterwards. And that's when I realized, oh, they, they had that option there. So I, I I agree. I think it's, you know, it's going to satisfy a lot of people if you give them the option. I wonder what it looked like later in the day when the open divisions were going through. Most people are probably going to go to the... Uh, um, the, the grip-free handles, and I wonder how long those lines were, were looking. But we'll have to see if they continue that. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where I think you know trial and error from the the, the company. Um, but I do like the simplicity of it. You know, you're not making the rig bigger, which which causes more money or whatever. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's more complicated. It's not as safe. Because you were saying something funny. Um, about when you went over the, I remember you said you went over the Spartan, uh, stairway to Spartan, and they started, you heard a drill when you yes. went through it. So it's like, you're kind of wondering, what happened there, you Yeah, know? They, were, they were drilling something, it looked like more support, and it was like, okay, um, I'm going to just get off this really quick. <laughs> right, and, and I, I kind of like that, I mean, as long as, I heard this horror story on a podcast uh, a few months ago, it was a podcast, I think dated a year ago, but they were referencing a really race early on. It was in Florida, and it was oh, and this goes to your story about the the fish at last year's Dallas race. Um, that uh, I guess they were racing, and they were like, you know, just be careful if you see an alligator when you're in the water. Just to be, you know, be very careful and swim through the. And I just, I'm not down with that. You know, yeah, I don't like yeah. being electrocuted. I'm not gonna do a tough mutter with an electrocution. Yeah, and I definitely don't want to have any fear of a major injury. And I think. Not to like hype up Spartan, but I think Spartan does a really good job of trying to minimize that risk. <laughs> All the rigs are safe. Um, there's no large drops. Um, if you're dropping unsafely after an eight foot wall, it's because you just have bad technique, you know. Um, so it's like, but it's, but they do have those things to like an eight foot wall that is it's exhilarating, you know, to get over an eight foot wall. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's get into your training a little bit, and maybe some of your philosophies, thoughts on it, and you know, one thing. We were talking a couple weeks ago with um, my wife and I, and you were kind of like asking about our, our running, and we've admittedly both said that we know running's not our, our strong suit, and and I've even said, you know, I heavily rely on the other people's failures to help me move up, and I, you know, we, we talked about this coming out here where 
I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, part of me, I don't want anybody to fail. Like, but at the same time, if somebody's not training for something and I am, I, I will take advantage of that. And if they're not ready for the twister and I pass you on it, you know, that's, that's what I'm hoping for. But what I've realized is that's, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, I could get a, I can do a burpee free race, pass a lot of people. Now I notice Chino in particular, and then right. and then You've this, seen a lot this less. race. Yeah. I'm getting to these tough obstacles: the spear, the twister, and I'm expecting to see that that burpee zone. I want it full of everybody who was ahead of me at that point, and I'm seeing that there's maybe one or two guys in there. So what I'm definitely seeing is everybody's onto it. And if you want to compete, one. You know, if you want a top 10 finish, you're going to have to do a burpee-free race in probably just about any category you're, you're running in. I just think that's, unless you're just such a dominant runner that you can you can give a five-minute lead-up or three-minute lead-up doing doing some burpees. Or you're so tremendously physically fit. I mean, this is, this is really the one exception. You're so tremendously physically fit that you can knock out uh, 30 burpees in like a, a minute and a half and not be worn out afterwards. Yeah. That's not me. Yeah, um, yeah. I maybe have one of those in me, but it takes me out a minute 45. Yeah. And, and nine times out of ten, I'm pretty tired after I do that set. Yeah. There's there's people that are just like they're so fit, you know, they, they've been working on it for so long that they may not be the best runner, but they can actually jack those out. And they, so, but I think if you fail more than one, mm-hmm. then you're really then, then it's like no matter who you are, if you're you know Cody Moat, if you fell two obstacles, sorry buddy, you just you missed your first place. And, yeah, and he yeah. was at the race this weekend, and he was an animal, and I'm sure that he probably could have gone even faster. But I guarantee you, if he if he fails two obstacles, he's not winning that race, no matter how fast he goes. Yeah, yeah. So what brings back to when you were talking to us, and you know the realization that um, I obviously see is you know don't forget there's a race, you, you got to run, right? And sometimes we do get caught up on the obstacles you know those are the that's the fun part the sexy part of all of this is is prepping for for some of these obstacles and i'm not overlooking that at all because if if you're a mediocre runner and you do a burpee free race you're probably gonna you're still gonna do really well but if you're looking to really take it to another level or whatever your next level is right that's that's what we have to focus on and there's i know yeah there's no way you can be a top 10 uh ocr racer whether well i would say age group right now you probably could be top 10 but elite level there's no way if you're not if you don't at least have a solid running base i don't think it's possible and when i say solid i'm talking you know anywhere between 15 to 25 miles a week um and and then to go from solid to proficient or good you know anything above like 25 and i'm not just talking about 25 basic miles smart miles recovery runs maybe uh, some some runs that test your fitness but I think OCR is a misnomer. It says obstacle course race. I I haven't yet been to an obstacle course race that I've seen. I've seen trail runs with obstacle courses in them, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that idea is is maybe what gets so many people out there because you get a lot of people out there that don't run, and they find out wow this is a lot of, a lot of movement and you can walk it, but it's um I think the ultimate obstacle you can do or the ultimate thing you can do that I do is I come from more of a, a running background. And so when I say running background is I enjoy running the most. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite sport. I, I play basketball. I play uh, you know, a little bit of football, uh, tennis, uh, swimming, you know, um, some other stuff. I'm not really big into golf. It's just it's kind of low key. But um, 
but the thing that I love the most by far is running. And so that suits me for these trail runs because not only do I love running, I love trail running. And so if I can get out there and run between two or three trail runs a week and then maybe two or three rides on the road, um, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be much better suited for the obstacles, not just from a running standpoint, but I think that lighter is faster and lighter also helps you on body weight obstacles. Because I mean what, a good portion of the obstacles are body weight yeah. obstacles. So yeah. if you're running, you're probably gonna lose a little weight. That's gonna make the twister a little easier. So most of my training really is really like 80, 90% of it is, is running and then like 15 to 20% of it is on cross training. Um, and plus my upper body, for one reason or another, it really gets over fatigued with some of the upper body stuff. So mm-hmm. I'll work my lower body can handle some of the pounding. And uh, yeah, and, and like I said, I, I'm one of those rare people that I enjoy, uh, I enjoy being in the pain cave as long as I'm not there too long. And, uh, and I enjoy running, I really do. So, you know, I, I think our listeners would, would appreciate, you know, anytime we kind of have a little bit of guidance, um, I'm, I'm on the opposite end. Like, I've gotten to enjoy running a little bit more, but it's never been, like, something I love to do. You know, I remember I, I did one year of cross-country in high school. And Which I think you hated. I hated. Hated. Quit it, you know. I So I got to the point, and I don't know what it was about running, and I think still this kind of holds me back a little bit. I threw up just about every single race I ever did in cross-country. I'd get to the finish line and just... And maybe it's because I didn't know how to pace. I just pushed as hard as I could and then I throw up and I was like this is not fun I don't want to do it and anyway so with you're you're the opposite end so I think you could definitely give some pointers on right you know I'm probably not going to love running as much as you are and our listeners I'm, I'm assuming could probably relate a little bit I may never love running but let's be aware that this is important if you want to be better at an, an OCR so sure well, what specifically, like, are, are you incorporating in, in a week, say? And I know it'll depend on what's what's coming up, a race or not. But just, you know, try and be as, as general as you can, I guess. Yeah, and, and I'll answer that, and then I'm going to go back to the, the origin of the question. And I think that and that's a better place to start. But right now, before my before taking the two weeks off to, to, to make sure that I wasn't making the stress fracture work, I had... I had done a 35-mile week, and that was a taper week before the Arizona race. But the week before that, I hit 50 for the first time. I, I hit 49. But the first time I hit 50 miles since I was, like, 28, and I'm 39 right now. So mm-hmm. that was a long time ago. And um, so right now, I'm probably in between 35 and 50 if my foot goes better. And I'm trying to get up right in into that sweet spot at 55 and 60. And that may sound like a lot or may sound like a little. depends. But... Probably to most people who do OCR, that sounds like a lot, and, and, and that's for me. That's that's I've been building up that. I want to go back to that. So I didn't start running until I was 18. I pl- I ran to play basketball, but I never ran for fitness. And one of the reasons why is I didn't enjoy it. And the reason why I didn't enjoy it is because I didn't know that you needed appropriate shoes. I didn't know anything about pacing. You know, not to go out too fast. So running was excruciating. It was a very uncomfortable experience, and so. The way you're describing your running is a cross-country runner, Mike. It sounds more common than not. You know, I think the, the, the more important thing is is to learn how to run appropriately, or you know, which includes shoes and, and form, but also the type of terrain you're running on. I think most of us. I mean, imagine if you if you had no experience working out in a gym and you never opened yourself up to any guidance to that. 
you would probably injure yourself or you'd be confined to, to machine weights. Mm -hmm. And that's no way to get fit. You know, that's, that's, you can't, you wouldn't be able to do CrossFit. You wouldn't be able to do hardly anything. So, um, it took me almost two years to build up to 45 miles a week. Uh, two years ago, I, I started after a long break due to an injury, uh, specifically Achilles tendonitis. It took almost a year off. Um, I was running about 10 miles a week. And I, and I, I started when I was 18, so you're looking at like 21 years of running experience. So I know that three, I can run three mile, three times a week if I'm totally out of shape. I know that that's my baseline. So what's three times two or three? So that's between six to nine miles a week. I think that's the starting spot for everybody. Mm -hmm. And if you're too obese or, you know, your, your body is recovering from an injury or whatever it may be, that that's too much, you just start walking mm -hmm. two or three times a week for a few miles, just getting your body used to it. That's the key. Anybody who tries like, well, he said 40, maybe I can do half of that because I'm in reasonably good shape. I think you're setting yourself up for an injury. You need to start off three days a week, take a day off in between, and then slowly but surely listen to your body and work yourself up. So right now I'm at 40. I try to do like a pretty standard one, but I believe in specificity of training. So most people incorporate a long run and some speed work or endurance work into their running, and that's kind of what I do. So once a week I do a, a long run that's probably between 15 to 25% of my total volume that week, so between 8 to 15 miles, depending upon how sore my body is, because long runs for me are hard. I'm a big guy, I weigh about 180 pounds, sometimes 175. That's a lot of weight for me, though. So I do a long run, but my bread and butter runs are really my um, my longer, what you call lactate threshold or lactate tolerance runs, where you're running at a pretty high, high speed but not a max speed, not a max effort. And you're doing that for between 10 to 30, maybe 40 minutes. That's where you're gonna get a lot of fitness. I try and get in one of those. Now specificity of training for obstacle course racing is really key. Once a week or twice a week, I really try and do a, what I call an OCR workout, where I'm doing high, or HIIT workouts, high intensity interval, inter, interval training. Um, I, uh, I really want to get my heart rate up super high, uh, get super fatigued, and then take like a two to three minute break. Uh, or do um, my break would be a, a, an easy jog. Mm -hmm. So I'm not like totally taking it off, but I'm, I'm getting my heart rate back down to 120. And I try and do that for about 60 minutes. Um, as I got more fit preparing for Big Bear last year, because Big Bear was my A race. Um, I caught the OCR bug at Lake Elsinore, my first Spartan, and I said, the next one in SoCal is in Big Bear. I'm going all in. I had nine months to train, and I did. And I, I built up to where I could do a 90-minute OCR workout where wow. I'm basically running and doing sandbags or buckets or burpees or pull-ups. And I'm doing that with mixed running for about 90 minutes. And, and But at the beginning, I was doing it for 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I recommend. You know, One of those once a week. I'm sorry, one of the OCR workout at least once every two weeks. A long run once every two weeks or every week. But a, a challenging run once a week, every week. So, you know, that tempo or threshold run, however you want to phrase it, that's one I would be doing every week. Uh, not for a beginner runner, but even after a month, I would say, all right, you know, you got your running legs under you. Let's try and pick up your speed a little bit for about 10 to 15 minutes and then, uh, and then dial it back down. That's how you're going to see fitness gains. Um, 
And honestly, I, I look at it like if you're going to spend time doing something, to go back to my original thing, um, uh, I, something I didn't say is I love running. Uh, and it's, it's definitely harder to do something you don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. But I personally believe that if you can learn to run where it's not excruciating, you will find a way to enjoy it. That's my personal belief. I think we're, as humans, we're natural runners. And if you can find a way to run appropriately, either I had a, a gait analysis recently that was very productive with Richard Diaz, and um, and he was really just promoting, hey, you know, run, enjoy your running, you know, enjoy your running, get the right shoes, get the right every, you know, just dial it all in, and, and you'll you'll find a way to enjoy your running. He's preaching the choir, but there's a lot of people out there that when they ran, they were like you, mm-hmm. you know, it was a miserable experience in mm-hmm. PE, or it was a miserable yeah, experience yeah, yeah. across country, and it's like, I don't ever want to feel that again, you know, mm-hmm. or if I do, it's once every few months at a Spartan race. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think running is a beautiful, a beautiful thing that, that if you, if you can kind of nurse it and work through it, you'll get better at it, and so, I'm probably training somewhere between you know, seven to ten hours a week. Ten hours would definitely be a heavy week, and um, probably only about ninety minutes of that is strength training. Okay. And the other training is is recovery or running oriented. And, and three of my runs every week are easy to steady runs. Okay. Know, they are. Just, I'm just out there enjoy, having an enjoyable trail run, or I'm out there having an enjoyable road run. Um, just trying to like get my legs loose. And essentially developing your my aerobic base. So basically, I'm learning, teaching my body and my heart how to process oxygen at a better rate. VO2 max aside, I'm just getting my body used to being aerobic. And when you run in an obstacle course race, you are aerobic a large percentage of that time. And so the more efficient you can be. So that's where it is. Like easy runs are great, um, but if you really want to get better, you got to mix in some of those specific workouts absolutely yeah um i'm curious too so you did mention strength training so i'm assuming you're doing like 10 sets of bench press and uh leg extension and and all that leg extension you (laughs) want to get better at twister leg extension uh you want to get better at running hills leg extension yeah just joking um yeah i kind of left that out with specificity of training so pull-ups are a great great exercise because you're working all those muscle groups. You're working your your biceps. You're working your upper back. You're working your forearms. Everything you do. So pull-ups are, are a great workout. The problem with pull-ups though is I don't have easy access to a pull-up bar, mm-hmm. and um, I want a pull-up bar that, that's safe. So uh, there's other exercises that I really like. I like slow pull push-ups. Mm-hmm. So um, I used to just jack out like 40 or 50 push-ups, and I think yeah, that's a great workout. You know, mm-hmm. now it's like nice and slow. Get to the bottom, take up one second, go back up to a one second. Uh, weight vest push-ups are great. Mm-hmm. Um, really good upper body workout, especially for like, um, I noticed that when I was doing them this year, the, the wall, getting over the wall was easier. Okay. Because my triceps were just clearing it. My chest was a little bit stronger. Um, let's see, what else am I doing? So what about, um, so obviously like picking up things and carrying is right, a bit load, like, right. you know, that's, that's a lot of strength. So, I mean, are you deadlifting? Are you doing anything in particular to, to work on that type of strength? You know, I, I was thinking prior to about a month and a half ago, uh, that my mountain running, cause I do a lot of running in the local mountains in San Diego, not a lot of big ones, but there's some decent ones you can do repeats on. Uh, I thought that was going to be enough mm-hmm. to suffice and it's not. Um, I really learned that the hard way in both Chino and Arizona where uh, I was getting passed in the bucket. I'm a big guy, I'm str- and I like to think that I'm fairly strong. Um, but I was getting 
beat by guys 10, 20, 30 pounds lighter than me on the bucket and the sandbag. And I'm just like, I'm over this, man. I want to get better at this. So about three weeks ago, I did a, I did hill repeats with a, with a weight vest mm-hmm. where I, um, I uh, walked down. And then, uh, but the bigger thing was I was doing um, bucket squats. So I grabbed the bucket and I have a bucket at home with rocks in it and I do squats with it. Uh, lunges, weighted lunges. Um, and just in the last three weeks of doing those, uh, Vegas, the sandbag, and I was running the sandbag, which is huge for me. Mm-hmm. And the bucket was, I didn't get passed by anybody and I caught up to a few people. So nice. my plan is, is to, without overdoing it so I risk injury, is to do some bucket specific training. And I, I, we're lucky enough, if you've ever been to Southern California and San Diego, there's like no flat terrain anywhere unless you're like on the coast and even there it's kind of rolling. Well, in my neighborhood there's a hill and I, um, I just take the bucket up the hill or I have some sandbags and I just take one of the sandbags up the hill doing lunges or whatever. And it's hard, hard training, but it's, it's built in. So that's, that's a bread and butter exercise, especially building up some of some harder races. And I do want to do the NBC races this year, at least two of them. Um, and then, you know, get ready for Tahoe and, and uh, I'm not afraid of altitude. I, I do okay at altitude, but that's going to be a grueling course because of the obstacles up the hill. So yeah, I want yeah. to be ready for it. And uh, I don't think running or even just being upper body strong is going to cut it. So kind of building off of that, um, what are your particular goals for, for this year that you're hoping for? You know, I'd really like to feel like I'm not getting dusted by the super elite guys, you know, like mm-hmm. the, um, uh, let's say, uh, Ryan Atkins. Um, you know, those guys are in a different league. But I don't want to show up and be like in a super course where it's only eight miles and they're beating me by 15 minutes. I don't want to feel, I'd, I'd rather like, to me in my head, I want to be like, eight minutes behind or seven minutes that would make me feel like i'm making progress and that's mm-hmm. that's who i measure i'll never be in their category i know that given my age and my genetics etc my training background th- those people are just in a different category but i want to f- i want to get as close to them as reasonably possible and so my goals are really to train super hard and uh not get injured that's that's the main one because i love i love the race so it's just mm-hmm. fun yeah. so i don't want injury you know, knocks that all out obviously but I really want to train hard and do well at Tahoe. When I say do well, I mean I'm like really motivated. I want to be like top 20 overall. Uh, and I look at like what that would take. And uh, what realistically, I'll probably like come in top 50. I'd like to think if I train well, um, like get in my longer runs, longer mountain runs, do the necessary work, cut some weight, maybe cut five pounds. I think I can do it. I think it's doable. But I want to shoot for top 20 and, and just, you know, go all in. And uh, that's really my A race. That's my A-plus race this year. And in Big Bear, which is almost the same race, it's a grueling race. It's a beast. It's at almost the identical altitude. That's going to really show me where I'm at. So that's an NBC race. You're going to be there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm ready to, like, have that be my A-minus race to show up. And then I have, like, another four months before Tahoe to show me, all right, how much work do I have to do? So those yeah, are like yeah. my two big ones. And uh, I might do the North American uh, OCR championships instead of going to West Virginia for the regional because if I qualify for Tahoe, it'd be, it'd be fun to go try out that uh, NORAM OCR yeah. because it's the obstacles there are just, they, they, they collect them from all the different races. They're mm-hmm. really interesting. It'd be, I think it'd be a great training 
training thing building up for Tahoe. But um, I think Spartan runs the best races, um, best organized. You get the best comp level of competition. And uh, that being said, if, if this year doesn't go well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not able to achieve some of those things. I'm okay with that because um, you know it's it's building blocks. It's learning. It's like doing 90 burpees in a race. I I don't look at that as a as a failure. No, as a complete failure. That that failure of having failed those obstacles is a great learning experience. So I'm hoping for 2018 to be a really good learning year, but uh, but I am. I mean, I'm, I'm going to train like I want to get top 20 for Tahoe. That's that's the old. That's the only, that's the only real goal I have. Everything else is just like preparation, like smaller goals to lead to that exactly. big goal. Yeah. Exactly. So um, well, you know, we'll we'll hold you to it. I mean, you just you know we're recording this, so all of our listeners are going to be looking for. You? Oh yeah, when top, they see me, when uh, they see me like 79th or 113th, they're gonna be cracking up, you know. And I'll be like, yeah, you know that, and I'll start making excuses. Yeah, the, the ape hanger was so slippery that day, or whatever, you know. <laughs> so well, now that you bring that up, so I'll, I'll make sure to put all your contact info in the show notes so people can reach out to you if they don't see your name to be like, sure. hey, what happened? Um, so I, I do have to bring up one story from this weekend. Was uh, let's talk about your hoist. Because uh, oh, an awesome story. <laughs> so it wasn't this. It wasn't this race. It was. Uh, it was the Arizona race. Oh, Arizona. Yeah. I'm sorry, Arizona. So I'm one of those people that I'm pretty. I like to think of myself as a tough person, but in the moment, I can be such a big baby. And I have stories with my wife and the kids at like Disneyland where I, I was like throwing a big complaining fit, and uh, I have some of those moments. And uh, so I'm at Arizona, and uh, I'm running a pretty good race. Um, but I'm, I think I'm somewhere like an eighth or whatever coming in the final shoot. I'm just, I just wanted the race to be over. And, I, and they staggered the final gauntlet in Arizona, and it was so beautifully put. So you, you finish up with an A-frame, then you go to Twister, Hoist, Atlas, Spear, and everything's within 100 yards of each other. So it's like back to back to back. So I just finished Twister, and I'm pretty worn out. And I go up to the Hoist, and I try to pull it up, and... And hoist is something for me that, like, yeah, that's one of my strengths, right? I'm just going to jack this thing up. And I get, like, three pulls in, and it is, like, it feels like 180 pounds, maybe 200 pounds. And I look around, and I go, oh, I got a bad pulley. <laughs> and I'm kind of totally, I totally making fun of myself afterwards. But in the moment, I was not happy about the hand that I'd been dealt. And, um, and I remember... Chino two weeks before uh, my buddy John Clark he um, he was right next to me and he was really struggling with his hoist and I looked over at him and I was like come on John come on John and at that point he didn't even know who I was I'm just some guy yelling at him trying to cheer him on um, and that kind of flashed in my head because I got about four pulls into that pulley and I'm complaining out loud <laughs> and uh, and I almost I almost uh, cashed it in so you know I'm not getting it up but I I dug in and I grinded and I got it to the top and it was hard. And so after the race, I, I tell John the story. I'm like, yeah, I had a bad pulley. And so he's been bringing it up to me ever since, like <laughs> making fun of me, which is cool. I mean, I, I like that stuff too, you know, like I, uh, it's, we're all human and it, the good stuff and the, and the funny stuff and the bad stuff, it, it's, oh yeah, what was it, uh, the, the, your wife's Terminator? sprint you know yes. it's it's funny when you when you can laugh at a mistake afterwards or you can laugh at a funny situation that in the moment isn't so funny that's the beauty of life and, and uh 
and I really like it. So yeah, I definitely got a bad pulley in Arizona. Yeah. On <laughs> Saturday, I did not get a bad one on Sunday. <laughs> you picked the right bag. Yes. So. Yes. All right. Well, if you hear anybody screaming, I got a bad pulley. We know. We, we know, know where that is. came yes, from. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> to uh, so let's switch subjects as we uh, uh, finish up here. But um, what do you think? There's any obstacles that we should be seeing in these races, or more of something, less of something? I mean, overall, do you think? You like what you see or well i think we will i think uh, if you look at spartan the obstacles have tremendously changed and they continue to change and so people that throw out these like ah spartan does do obstacle innovation i don't know what program they're on because uh just because they keep you know 80 percent of their obstacles consistent doesn't mean they're not changing uh, and i like the standardization but i kind of miss um, and I never really got a chance to experience them, but the balancing obstacles, yeah, like yeah. those those logs, that looked kind of cool. I always want to give that a try, and it's a, it's kind of, actually kind of an easy obstacle to fail on if you absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, I think they should bring some of those back. Um, I think we will see new things like Twister. Twister is a great obstacle. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you master it, it's not super hard, yeah, but a great obstacle. Um, but I would like to see some new stuff. Um, I mean, if it were up to me, I'd see longer ropes. Okay, yeah. Uh, I'd like to see the elite heat have to have an elite uh, uh, line or elite uh, lane like mm-hmm. Toughest does out in Europe. Um, so let's say like for the elite heat, you have to go up like a, like a, a, a 30 meter rope. No, not 30 meter. I'm sorry. That's way too long. <laughs> but like a, like a 10 meter rope. Yeah. Whereas the current one is like, got to be like four or five. Um, and so you really have to, which you get up that high, you're going to get a little scared and stuff like that. I like to see a little bit more challenging, maybe challenge, more challenging rigs. Um, I don't know, you, what do you think? Like, what, I'd like to hear what, like, what, if you could have your pick of like a tough obstacle, what would you pick that to like bring to, to yeah, Spartan? Yeah, you know, and, and obviously I'm going to say things that'll apply to my strengths because I want to pass people doing burpees because I, I can do certain things. So yes, I, yes. I do agree. Um, I, I would love to see a higher rope climb. I, I know a lot of people that'll, you know, they get a little freaked out with the height it's currently at, but you know, a, a few more feet I think would be a nice little little change of pace there. Um, uh, the rig is tough, but I do love I love that challenge. I like all the uh, different obstacles. We were talking about this a little bit yesterday. The baseball. Yes. I, I actually would like to see the baseball come back, but make it where you had to grab, grab the, the baseball. You can't yeah. grab the because you know you don't see it anymore because it's like why the baseball is actually helping you because it's a bigger knot and you just grab above it. But I, I love that that grip challenge. Um, so I would love to see something along those lines. And then, like I mentioned, I, I love uh, like odd object carries, and, and I don't know how you can standardize this at all, but something to pick up that it's it's not like a round shape or right. it doesn't have a handle or it's very awkward well if i could ju- jump in just for the sake of time is green beret i heard about this they do this thing where and you might have heard about this but it's basically a pole on your back mm-hmm. and attached to the pole on each end are ropes which are attached to a weight yeah and it's a heavy weight mm-hmm. and so you're, you're basically squatting and walking with this you know 100 pound apparatus but it's also it's like the the wobble bar what do they call those the slosh pipe the slosh pipe yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it's like that but now multiply that time a factor of three yeah, yeah. that would be legit you know because that those things will knock you on your ass yeah yeah you know, they don't care how light you are or how strong you are you misjudge it you're done and, and actually last year in vegas we kind of saw something similar they didn't have the tire flip they had these like water tube flips where it was these heavy tubes you know, it looked like a big sausage and you had to flip that and it was filled with water so it moved a little bit and it, it wasn't as 
much of a strength feat as the tire because you know that's so hard to get your hands under but it was it was you know needs to say a big challenge to to balance this water as it's moving on you and flip it over but um yeah so i think those uh you know, back in the day, they had the gladiators. Um, oh, right, but you right. had that human ele- uh, element yeah. where, you know, these guys are trying to take you out as you finish the, uh, try and finish, you know. Yeah. So I, I think we've done a good job covering a, or recapping a lot of the things we talked about coming out here that I really wanted to get recorded for all of our listeners. But I'm, I'm sure I'm missing something. or So any, anything I should have asked you that I didn't or any yeah, other? You can ask me about my awesome beard, but I, I don't <laughs> think that's... Speaks for itself. Yeah. Um, so I'm not very like big into social media. Uh, it's not really my thing by any means. But I am on Instagram, and uh, my name is uh, Big Brother Spartan. That's my, my uh, title, or I, I don't even know what you would call it. I guess title or uh, username, username, handle. There you go, handle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the reason why it's Big Brother Spartan and this ties into how I race so I wear this shirt and it says uh, become a mentor and so the whole idea of it is um, so I, I'm a big brother with big brothers and big sisters of San Diego and uh, there's just this really wonderful experience which is mentoring and connecting with the youth and um, and when I started doing this uh, Spartan racing I thought man there's a lot of really cool people at Spartan races you know a lot of really motivated courageous individuals and I was thinking, man, if I could even just like spread the word to one or two of them to think about maybe becoming a mentor, even if it's like not even a conversation, but they just go, ah, oh, what's that all about? Mm-hmm. And it, not necessarily with a big brother, big sister. So when you see me racing, I'll, I'll probably permanently race with this until I get uh, my SDPT sponsorship sticker on my shirt. <laughs> um, I'm gonna, you'll see this guy that looks kind of kooky with his weird beard and long hair, and that's mainly because my wife wants me to grow my hair out and my daughter doesn't want me to cut my beard. Um, I have two little ones, two little girls, and they're awesome. Um, you'll see this shirt says become a mentor or become a mentor today. I kind of cycle them out. And uh, it's just basically the idea that, you know, if you're gonna live a meaningful life, do something meaningful. I, I think that for me, Obstacle racing is meaningful and fun for me, uh, but there's other stuff too, and uh, so that's why I wear this shirt. I just want to, you know, plant the seed. Uh, I can honestly say that I think connecting with a young person and having that type of relationship can be so mutually beneficial. Um, and so that's kind of that, that's that's me. And uh, almost nobody ever asked me about the shirt, which is fine. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I care a little, but. Uh, but that's that's why it is, and uh, I'm not trying to mentor anybody as an OCR athlete. That's not, that's not <laughs> what it's about. I'm not I'm not that grandiose. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's that. And uh, yeah, I, I love one of my favorite things to do with OCR racing. And Mike's definitely learned about this. Is I love chopping it up after a race. You know, just getting together, meeting with people, laughing, and joking around about man, that twister was brutal. Or, you know, which obstacles did you fail? And, oh man, that water, that mud was so nasty. It's mm-hmm. it's fun. You know, the, that's some of the best parts. So I, you know, I look forward to um, meeting new people and, and laughing. And, um, you know, it's been a great weekend. It was, really, and I'm really glad you uh, you uh, invited me to. It was definitely collaborative coming out here. I just you know, absolutely I'm really glad it, it, it materialized. Yeah, yeah, and um, 
I agree. I mean, there's so many great people in this sport, and you know, all the way from the elites to everybody in the open division. You know, it's very supportive, and, and obviously one of the main reasons I do this and love coaching people who who are trying to do it at OCR or uh, whatever it might be. Oh, uh, so um, any any closing thoughts before we uh, wrap this up? Yeah, I, I think um, I just I, I've written Mike a letter about this, but uh, before I, I got to Mike's gym. I was, I'd never done an obstacle course race before, but I did a little bit of training with the Navy SEALs when I was in the Navy, and so I practiced a couple obstacle courses then, but I was like 21 years old. That was like a different era back then, and, um, and so I didn't know anything about anything, and I thought my strength was running, and, and it still is to some degree, but I'm really good at obstacles, and I just, I want to say that having a coach like Mike, and he really is a coach, like he coaches you like for five minutes at a time, so even if you don't hire him as a coach, he's kind of your de facto coach because he gives you such really great, valuable feedback. And um, I really feel so indebted to him, uh, definitely to Richard Diaz a little bit, but definitely to Mike. Just He's really set me on the right path. And I met Mike through happenstance. I met this guy at the gym. His name was Nick. What's his last name? Fred. Fred. Good dude. And he's doing these weight-assisted, no, weight, not weight-assisted pull-ups, but the pull-up machine where you actually lift extra weight. And I'm like, dude, you look like an obstacle course racer. Like, you give me some tips. And he's like, so we start talking about getting better at pull-ups. And he's like, you know, you should you should look this guy at Mike. He has his gym over here. And I did. And it was like, that's made all the difference. If I took that out of the equation, oh, I can't even think about how many burpees I would have done. And, and, and so I'm just incredibly indebted. And uh, if you're in the local area, you know, look Mike up for sure. Um, and the gym, because there's a lot of other great trainers there. Um, but even if you're not, you know, and you're thinking about getting into it, I would recommend going to a gym that is SGX or obstacle course related. And, you know, you it's like an investment. You know, anytime you can invest in, in quality of life and well-being, it's priceless. It's so much better than like a new TV or a, a new phone or whatever. I mean, this is really life enjoyment. And, uh, and Mike, I, I, I have not done burpees since my first race. And I mean, I would say at least 50% of that is, is due to how I was taught to train by Mike. So I'm very thankful for that. Oh, yeah. It, it's probably closer to 90%, but, but we'll say 50 Okay, to okay. Safe. Let's yeah. meet halfway. It's like uh, 70%. Yeah. So, it, you know, obviously I, I appreciate all the, the kind words and, you know, we're always happy to help anybody. And, you know, it, we are, you know, standing mirror training, my studio, we are going to be sponsoring Aaron this year because we just believe in him. We, we see everything he's done, how hard he's working, everything he, he strives for and believes in. Uh, so we're, we're happy to, to sponsor him and, and help him in any way possible to be, be successful for his career. So I'm, I'm not kidding when I say an, upright, uh, an upcoming superstar. You're going to see his name out there. So check him out. Uh, and I am going to put links in the show notes for you know anything we mentioned in this interview. But also uh, look him up on Instagram. And uh, you can follow him, see some of the things that he's doing. Uh, reach out to him, ask him questions. I'm sure he'd be happy to, to give some feedback on things. And, and also becoming a mentor and, and becoming a big big brother or sister. And uh, just or just if you have any questions and want to talk to him more about that, uh, check out the show notes and you can, you can learn all about that. But uh, thank you so much for uh, spending the time. I mean, you're kind of stuck here in the car with me. Yeah, man. So you didn't really have a choice. And, and I want to I throw it on the gauntlet on myself. So... Come um, come October, if anybody does, like, hear this between now and then, and they're like, that guy sucked in, in Tahoe. <laughs> like, literally, like, I get, like, 40th or, 
or like 80th or whatever and I just have a bad race and, and it, it, it won't be a bad race because I have any excuses because I probably wasn't prepared you go ahead and you can lay it on me thick man because I I, I that's type of that's the type of thing that motivates me I keep it real I need to be motivated I'm gonna push it hard and, and I'm gonna represent you know uh, uh, I want to represent SDPT out there and uh, and I also want to be held accountable you know so I'm down with burpees I feel an obstacle I earned those burpees yeah yeah all right, man. Well, uh, again, check out the show notes. I think you're going to get a ton out of this interview. So hopefully you're going to apply some of the things that we, we talked about. And uh, we will uh, see you next time. Later on. All right. Well, that's going to do it for episode 49 of the OCR Underground Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. And I just wanted to thank uh, Aaron Nolan for um, agreeing to do the interview with us. I know there's a ton of great info in there. I hope you guys got a lot out of it. And also thanks to our sponsors, Handmaster Plus and Designer Protein. Don't forget to check out the show notes uh, to pick up anything that we mentioned in the show. It's at ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 49. And as always, please subscribe to the show so you get all the latest episodes. And please give us a, a rating. Let me know how I'm doing. And if you have any questions, I'd love to answer them on the show and help you guys out. And if you are ready to step up your training, don't forget to check out our online training program, our fuel and fire program that I do with uh, dietitian, registered dietitian and LaRue um, and pretty much create a done for you 12 week program to help you prep for your next rate. You race, you can check that out at ocrunderground.com slash fuel dash fire dash elite. All right, well, that's going to do it. And we will see you guys next time.